Good morning. Can you all hear me? Yes? Brilliant. So this morning, we're looking at the eighth fruit of the Spirit. You should know them all by now. So far, we've heard about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And today, we're looking at gentleness, and then there's only one left to go, which Martin has the pleasure of dealing with next week on self-control. Not sure if he's drawn the short straw there or not, but um, anyway, this morning, gentleness. What do you think of when you hear the word gentleness? Do you think of cute little lambs, maybe? Or doves? Or maybe a mother tenderly lifting her newborn baby out of his crib? Or we might think about an archaeologist on a dig, patiently and carefully unearthing precious artefacts with slow strokes of the delicate instruments, taking care not to damage what they find. Well, dictionaries are very helpful, as with a lot of the other fruit of the Spirit. One of the definitions is, gentleness is the quality or state of being gentle. <laughs> Tells us a lot, doesn't it? Fortunately, some other ones add a bit more to that. They say it's of being kind, tender, or mild-mannered. Moderate, soft, and delicate. To voluntarily assume equality with an inferior. The way someone acts when they are soft and calm and sweet to other people. Is that what you think of when you think of gentleness? Being sweet to people? This fruit of the Spirit is also sometimes translated as meekness or humility, which have slightly different connotations. When we think of someone who's meek, we might think of someone submissive, cowering in the corner maybe, afraid of their own shadow, while humility might be viewed in a more positive light. But many people in Western society today view all these translations, gentleness, meekness, humility, all as failings, especially in men. Gentleness has perhaps traditionally been associated and expected and admired in women, but a man who is gentle is seen as weak and effeminate. And yet today, gentleness is seen as an undesirable trait in women too. You only have to watch an episode of The Apprentice, for example, or some other popular celebrity programme, to see what kind of behaviour is admired and expected and is seen as desirable. This is because gentleness and humility are confused with weakness, self-belittlement, lack of ambition and an inferiority complex. And maybe even letting others walk all over you, such as in this cartoon. I'm going to put my name on a doormat because people always seem to walk all over me anyway. Increasingly, in the world's eyes, gentle people get laughed at. They get ignored and taken advantage of. In a world where, to quote Henry Nguyen, we're encouraged to get things done and to get them done fast, even when people get hurt in the process. Or to quote one US evangelist, in our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless. Is that what the fruit of gentleness is all about? Are we trying to cultivate a fruit of weakness? 
Should we learn to let others walk all over us? Well, you'll be pleased to hear I don't think it is. Interestingly, two individuals in the Bible who are described as meek or gentle are both men. In the Old Testament, Moses is described as humble or meek, depending on how you translate it. In the NIV, it says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. But Moses was a great leader of faith and courage. He certainly wasn't weak. And the other person who's described as gentle, on three occasions, is Jesus. Yet Jesus, too, was not weak. Even his words were powerful. When he told the wind and waves to be still... They were. Jesus was referred to as gentle in the reading we heard earlier from Matthew. And again, when Jesus is talking about himself, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here, Jesus linked gentleness with humility. And when Paul writes about Jesus in 2 Corinthians 10, he links gentleness with meekness. He says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. This helps to make the point clear that gentleness often requires meekness and humility. Because along with pride and feelings of superiority come rough reactions and stubborn know-it-all manners and answers. The Greek word for gentleness used here is proutes, which, as we've said, is often translated as meekness or gentleness. But it's also the word used in Greek culture to refer to a strong animal that has been tamed and brought under control, especially horses that have been broken and trained. But such an animal still retains its strength and its spirit. It's just it's under the control of its master. It's also used to talk about trained elephants. They have the quality of both strength and gentleness. Elephants are so strong they're often used in logging and to uproot whole trees with their trunks. But these giant, gentle giants can be trained from a young age. And their trunk is a really good example of this strength. Their trunk is powerful enough to uproot whole trees and yet the muscles in the trunk can also pick up a gentle single blade of grass. Or you might like to think of Aslan in the Narnia Chronicles. In The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, when Mr Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion, Susan is surprised because she assumed Aslan would be a man. And she says to Mr Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And she goes on to ask Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe. To which she replies, Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. And Aslan, though a mighty lion and ruler of Narnia, with terrible paws, as Lucy observes, chooses in his goodness to velvet his paws and be gentle with Lucy and the other children. Both Moses and Jesus display such gentleness, such strength under control, strength under God's control. Their meekness and gentleness was not weakness, timidity, indifference or cowardice. 
It was rather a heart surrender to God, a teachable spirit. The Life Application Bible states concerning gentleness. It involves being considerate of others, submissive to God and his word. Even when anger is the appropriate response, gentleness keeps the expression of anger headed in the right direction. Gentleness applies even force in the correct way. So a gentle person is even-tempered, but they're not some weakling who's afraid to do anything. So what about the opening line of that well-known hymn, Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild, and the images they inspire of a Jesus so meek, weak and harmless that no one could possibly have wanted to crucify him? To quote George Bernard Shaw, who admittedly is not known for being a Christian apologist, Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is a snivelling modern invention with no warrant in the Gospels. The other picture is a better, better indication, I think, of what we're going to look at. So let's look at that reading, the passage in the reading we heard from Matthew. I do realise it's not Palm Sunday. I did choose it, choose it for a reason. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. In Matthew's account of this incident, he refers to Christ as fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fault of a donkey, foal of a donkey. The king of all kings appears, the most powerful figure Jerusalem has ever known, and he defies expectation. The long-awaited entrance that he chooses is one of gentleness, He could have come in accompanied by 10,000 trumpeting angels, or at the very least he could have chosen a mighty war horse. But he shows up on a donkey. Then just after this humble entrance on a donkey, he overturns the tables of cheaters in the temple. Is this gentle, the behaviour of a meek, weak person who lets others walk all over him? I don't think so. Jesus is gentle and humble in heart, as we've heard. But this gentleness is not a relinquishing of strength. On the contrary, the spirit is powerful. And we too are given access to that power. Gentleness, meekness, prowtes involves recognising that we are not the source of power, but the instrument of it. And as that instrument, we are under God's control. We're not to wield that power harshly, or without purpose. When Jesus exhibited anger in the temple, when he turned those tables over, his anger came from the fact that these money changers were making God look bad by cheating the people they dealt with in God's house, in the house of prayer. Just as goodness is not the same as niceness, being gentle at times requires strength, courage, and guts. So what is gentleness? It's an attitude that flows from a heart surrendered to God. The humble and meek attitude of wanting to help other people instead of wanting to be superior to them. An attitude that flows from a spirit of real love for the individual, having true concern for their well-being. Such an attitude is shown in how we think about and treat others and what we say to them. I'd like to look at a few more examples from Jesus' own life of encounters we had with people in which he responded with true gentleness, with restorative gentleness. 
In John 4, Jesus encounters the woman at the well. This is the woman who's been married five times and is now living with a man who isn't her husband. And she's a Samaritan to boot. Not the kind of person most people have wanted to associate with. And yet Jesus goes up to her. He asks her for a drink. Her response isn't perhaps all that kind, but Jesus responds gently. He responded gently because he saw behind her reputation. He saw a thirsty and needy person. He saw a person who needed his living water, someone who needed restoration. And with gentleness, he restored her. And then there's the woman Jesus encounters in John 8, caught in adultery. Those who caught her were on tenterhooks. They had the stones ready in their hands. They were waiting for the order to stone her, to stone her to death. Did Jesus join them? Did he pick up his own stone? No. Instead, he turned and wrote in the sand. And then he says, If any of one, one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And when he was finished writing in the sand, they were all gone. There's just Jesus and the woman left. And he looked at her and said, there's no one here to condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Clearly she was guilty. Jesus knew that, but he saw beyond her reputation. He saw a person who needed to be restored. And with gentleness, he restored her. Then there's Zacchaeus in Luke 19, the hated tax collector, the man who was despised by all, Romans and Jews alike. But Jesus doesn't point his finger at him and accuse him of being the thief he was. Instead, he looks up and points to him and says, I'm coming to your house for tea. Jesus, again, saw beyond reputation. He saw a man who needed to be restored and with gentleness restored him. Jesus responded to each of these individuals, as he does to each of us, with loving gentleness, which helped to restore them to be the people God had created them to be. He took time to nurture people, to build them up, even when they'd made mistakes and failed. He didn't seek to put them down or judge them, as others did. Is that how we treat others? Do we follow Jesus' example? Or do we at times walk all over them, as is the way of so many in our world? But we should note that living in this gentle way didn't make for an easy life for Jesus, because the world did walk all over him. The authorities plotted against him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. Even his friends deserted him in his time of need. And Jesus doesn't promise us a trouble-free life either. As Phil reminded us a few weeks ago in the Sermon on Peace, in John 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But Jesus promises to be with us in that and give us the strength we need to follow his example of gentleness. 
Jesus drew his strength from God, and so can we. Before all of the betrayal, when Jesus was in the garden at Gethsemane, he prayed to his Father, to our Father. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Then we read that he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Isn't there another way, he was saying. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. You can feel the agony in his heart, as well as the release as Jesus gives up his will and surrenders it to the will of his Father. There's freedom and strength in that exchange. Jesus left the garden filled with power, power from his Father. He walked into the next scene full of dignity, strength and power. Power and strength under control because he knew who was in control. And when he's arrested, Jesus says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he at once will put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But Jesus willingly gave up that power to embrace a greater power. Jesus demonstrated strength under control, under the control of his Father. So how can we cultivate such gentleness, such strength under control? As we said in previous weeks, it's only the work of the Holy Spirit in us that can grow the fruit of the Spirit. It's only God who can tame and train us. But there are some areas of the way we live our lives which we can seek to follow Jesus' example. As it says in Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. As we've already considered, the Greek word used for this fruit of the Spirit can be translated either as gentle or meek. And it has been suggested that meekness might be used to describe the condition of our minds and hearts, our attitude. Whereas gentleness is more about how we conduct ourselves in our relations to others, our actions. Meekness, in effect, produces gentleness. Meekness is one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Beautiful attitudes for which God promises blessings. So we're going to think first about our attitude and then our actions, behaviour and conversations. We need to think about our attitude in two, two respects, in terms of both our attitude towards God and our attitude towards others. Because if our attitude towards God is right, our attitude towards others will naturally follow. If the seeds are sown and nurtured, the fruit will grow. The meek, gentle person loves God, trusts God, and accepts his will for their life. Like Jesus, they submit themselves to him rather than hardening their heart against him. Someone who lives like this is a fertile field for God to move in and demonstrate his power and his glory. God wants us to give him control of our lives, because human power under human control 
is a half-broken weapon in the hands of a child. But gentleness places our strength under God's guidance. And as such, it becomes a powerful tool for God's kingdom, not ours. But to live like this, with hearts surrendered to God, we must have a teachable spirit. If we think we know it all already, we will never grow. And if we can't grow, we won't become the gentle person God wants us to be. As James writes, So put out of your life every evil thing and every kind of wrong. Then in gentleness, accept God's teaching that is planted in your hearts. So how are we gentle and meek in our relationship with others? To many, this sounds like weakness. We want to stand up for our rights. We don't want to let others take advantage of us. But in this too, we need to follow Jesus' example. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He took the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Whether he was washing feet, serving lunch, healing the sick, or standing before Pilate, Jesus knew he was the Son of God sent to serve and to restore. He was the Son of God sent to die for our sins. It was Christ's relationship with his heavenly Father that led to his gentleness, which in turn allowed him to forgive and love those he met. And Jesus calls each of us to be like him, to exhibit that same love, power and strength under control from a position of humility which is rooted in our relationship with Jesus. We may have the power to embarrass or humiliate someone, but we choose not to. Not using that power is the fruit of gentleness. The person who's seeking the best in others and helping lift others up rather than seeking to put them down is meek and gentle. Often people say things or do things that are destructive to another person. Just one kind word can ruin a person's day or even their life sometimes. So how do we stay above this harsh, cruel and angry world around us? A few practical suggestions. We can apologise quickly after rants and emotional outbursts. We're human beings with powerful emotion, and these will happen. Even though I know that if one of our girls is misbehaving or doing something we're not really happy with, I know that getting cross and shouting at them won't help, but sometimes I do it anyway. I can't help it, especially if I'm tired or not quite in the right place myself. And I feel terrible afterwards. But these emotions, we can't can't always control them. But the key is, a gentle person will realise how the things they've said have affected someone else, the impact they've had, and they will apologise and seek to make amends. And maybe, with God's help, seek to gain the self-control we're going to hear about next week for um, how to stop these these emotional outbursts. Martin's going to give us all the answers for that. Or some tips to point us in the right direction. (laughs) 
we can remind ourselves of God's gentleness with us. How would we want God to correct us or point out something that we've done that's not right? Do we respond to others in the way we'd like God to respond to us? We can think about what our attitude looks like. For example, when we see someone doing something wrong, do we judge them or do we seek to help them? Help them to do better next time. Being gentle doesn't mean we should not be strong in our beliefs. But it does imply that we should be wise and loving in expressing those beliefs to others. Because when the attitude of our heart is in the right place, our behaviour will naturally follow. I quite like this picture of this gentle giant holding a teeny tiny umbrella over a little girl who's looking a bit sad. It's not directly relevant, I just, I just liked it as an image <laughs> of gentleness. Um, so Paul tells the Ephesians to be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. While to the Philippians he writes, let your gentleness be evident to all. Bearing with one another in love means to hang in there with such a person, to do unsolicited acts of kindness for them. Because if our behaviour reflects the gentleness of Jesus, we will be people whose energy is focused, people who offer grace to one another, people who encourage rather than condemn, and people who give and receive mercy. People like the shepherd in Isaiah 40. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leaves those that are young. People who, like Jesus, will not break a bruised reed or snuff out smouldering wicks. That's power and strength under control. That's gentleness in action. Ruinous anger and the use of force are a weak man's imitation of strength. And gentleness can also be extreme, surprisingly effective, as one of Aesop's fables demonstrates. If you're ready for a little story about the north wind and the sun... The north wind and the sun were arguing one day about which of them was the stronger. While they were arguing, a traveller passed by in a cloak. And the wind said to the sun, you see that traveller down there? Whichever of us makes him take off his cloak is the stronger. Do you agree? And the sun said, very well. So the wind began to blow with his, all his might. Storm clouds raced across the sky. Trees twisted in the gale. Leaves whirled all around and branches splintered and broke off the trees. But as the blue wind blew more and more strongly, the traveller wrapped his cloak tightly around himself. No matter how hard the wind tugged at his cloak, the traveller would not take it off. He just wrapped it tighter and tighter. So all the wind's efforts were in vain. Then it was the sun's turn. The sun began to shine. At first his beams were gentle, and in the pleasant warmth, after the bitter cold of the north wind, the traveller unfastened his cloak and let it hang loosely on his shoulders. And as the sun's rays grew warmer and warmer, the man took off his cap, he mopped his brow. And finally, the heat got so much he took off his cloak and to escape the blazing sunshine, lay down under the shade of a tree. And the moral of that story, according to Aesop, is that kindness and gentleness are often more effective than force. Or as one thinker writes, tenderness will win a heart so hardened that nothing else can move them. Truth spoken in love goes directly to the heart of the hearer 
and calls forth a kind response. It melts and wins where the most logical argument, the most terrible warning, and the severest threatening would produce no more impression than the falling of dew on a block of granite. And as Henry Nouwen puts it, a gentle person treads lightly, listens carefully, looks tenderly, and touches with reverence. A gentle person knows that true growth requires nurture, not force. Let's dress ourselves with gentleness. In our tough and often unbending world, our gentleness can be a vivid reminder of the presence of God among us. Gentleness means recognising that the world around us is fragile, especially other people. It involves recognising our own capacity to do harm and choosing instead to be tender, soft-spoken, soft-hearted and careful. When we're gentle, we touch people in ways that protect and preserve them, that build them up and nurture them, rather than harm and destroy them. Finally, briefly, let's think about our conversation. How can we display gentleness in our conversation? To the Colossians, Paul wrote, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What does salt do? It preserves, it melts ice, and it brings out flavour. In conversations, do people find our words full of grace and seasoned with salt? Someone once said, never enter a light except to build it. Or to put it another way, if you don't have something good to say, then don't say anything at all. Or as it says in Proverbs, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And in his book, James writes about the tongue. He says the tongue is like a fire. The power of a tongue governed by gentleness, though, can be used to strengthen, encourage and guide. Every time we open our mouths, whether in our homes, our workplaces, our church, every time we do so, we have a choice. We need to think to ourselves, will my words help or hurt? Will they build up or will they tear down? If we're going to teach people about Jesus, we need to be gentle. And we need to realise that everyone is in a different place. 1 Peter writes, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Well, in Galatians 6, it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And 2 Timothy writes, With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. If we steamroll over people who need to hear about Jesus, they will never listen to us. We need to be gentle in our conversations with each other and others we meet. So the fruit of gentleness should be seen in our attitude towards God and others, in our behaviour and our conversations especially perhaps when things don't go the way we'd like them to. Yet the fruit of gentleness isn't something that comes naturally to most of us. Gentleness, like the other fruit of the Spirit, grows out of a life committed to living close to Jesus 
are vine. As Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Our lives need to be committed to a deepening relationship with God. They should be lives that offer love and grace to others because of the grace God has given us. True gentleness will be evident when we freely surrendered our power and strength to God's control. Gentle people have been transformed by the surprising message of God's grace, and they delight in showing that grace, that love, and that gentleness to others, just as Jesus did. Amen. Amen.